Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, today I have the pleasure of speaking uh, with Mr. M.K. Raghavendra. He is a film critic uh, and who writes uh, on culture, and he's produced a fascinating uh, brand new Bloomsbury 2021 publication, The Hindu Nation, A Reconciliation with Modernity. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raj. So tell me, tell me, how did you end up writing this book? What was the main impetus behind it? Well, two things, uh, two things, basically. One of them is the acrimony in the public space between the liberal crowd and the Hindu nationalists, right? Now, my, my general thing was it seemed to be that both the liberals as well as the Hindu nationalists were not engaging in any kind of dialogue as much as asserting their political identities of some sort, right? Both of them were doing that. Now, so the question is, in order to reconcile this, in order to reconcile this uh, business, okay, um, one has to look at how this liberal, this, this thing of, you know, this liberal grew, liberal identity came about in India. So I examined the entire thing of education policy, Nehruvian thing, what exactly modernity was under Nehru, what he imagined Hinduism to be, what modern India should be, what the term secular meant to Nehru, what exactly happened. And that was the basic thing. And the second thing which uh, sort of bothered me in some way is that the, is the thing of cinema, which is that there is no such thing as a Hindu cinema in India, okay? There are, for example, you look at Western cinema, you come across Christian filmmakers who are considered the greatest in the world, like Robert Bresson, Ingmar Bergman, the Christian filmmakers, right? Why is it that you cannot take your own religion, your own beliefs, your own into some kind of thing? Why is it that every single film ever made about Hinduism has to be skeptical? Like Anant Murthy's Samskara made by Girish, by Girish Karnad and some and this, that kind of thing, right? It, has, it, it seems to be that for some reason, liberalism dictates that you can only look at your own religion skeptically, right? So the question is, where did the skepticism come from? Was it, was it uh, mandated through some uh, governmental policies? Is that the creation of, uh, did that create the liberal Indian? And is that liberal Indian responsible for the kind of way in which Hinduism is viewed in the West by and large in the academia? It seems to be some, you know, generally, it doesn't get the kind of respect that other religions get, right? It seems to, I mean, I mean it's sort of disturbing to see the sort of absence of respect. If Indian liberals, Indian left-wingers, Indian skeptics were the, shall we say, the carrying the message of what Hinduism is all about, they will obviously carry, a, shall we say, a negative message about Hinduism. And that, they are actually playing this role of being both Hindu by birth and uh, and skeptical and liberal by education right so the question is uh, this is what seemed this is what has happened and I, I investigated the whole thing in some way and produced this book and what is the thing and what what india should do to become globally you know it's possible to have a hindu nation what it would mean look at what is what a hindu is a hindu a hindu person is that kind of thing so that's how it came about so just to clarify one thing before we dive in, dive into the structure of the book, um, 
uh, were you saying that in your view, uh, Hinduism is not as respected uh, as other traditions? And um, just to clarify, in your view, is that on behalf of academics, of Western culture, of of uh, of liberal Indians, of you know, where would you say that view predominates? Well, it, it, it seems to have arisen in liberal Indians, but the Western media, for instance, new, newspapers, and they, they don't give much, uh, they, I mean, they don't seem to accord much respect to, to the way Hinduism is represented. It is represented as superstition, entirely as superstition. Now, if you look at every single religion as superstition, right? But other religions have defenders. See, one of the things about Hinduism is it does not make demands of faith upon, your, upon its uh, upon the congregation, upon its uh, people who, who profess to be born into it or who profess to believe in it, right? It doesn't make demands. So because it doesn't make demands, it, it becomes a kind of easy target in some way. So that, that was my, my sense. I myself am an atheist. I'm not a believer in religion of any sort, right? But the point is, people are entitled to their beliefs. Okay, they're entitled to their religious beliefs. They're entitled to their religious identities. And there's no reason, okay, for that religious identity not informing in, in some way the sense of nationhood also. Okay, it has not informed Indian sense of nationhood in the past uh, before, uh, before 1947. But there's no reason that it should not uh, do it now. But of course, you'll have to modify the religion. You'll have to look at certain aspects of the religion and, and uh, sort of restructure or reconstitute the religion as it's, if it's a religion at all, in some ways, to make it acceptable today, that sort of thing. You touched on this in passing, um, but maybe more in a more focused manner. What would you say is the ultimate takeaway or aim, argument, and gist of this book? What do you hope people would most take away from this book? I think two things. One is that it is possible to have a Hindu nation. It's possible to have a Hindu nation. That Hindu nation has to be completely has to be reconciled with the modern in some way okay you have to sort of uh, you have to have a have a you know a kind of beliefs the kind of politics the kind of virtues the kind of shall we say the, the kind of ethics okay dharma will not work as a dharma it's too relativistic in some way you'll have to come up you'll have to have a for example justice egalitarianism equal opportunity all these things would have to be installed as the basic virtues Whereas the caste system will, does not do that. But to, uh, to reiterate this point, the caste system belongs to the space. Okay. It doesn't belong to Hinduism. It's, it's because Christians practice uh, caste, Muslims practice caste, Sikhs practice caste. All of them are practicing caste. So it seems to belong to this. The fact that they've given up Hinduism and taken another religion does not make them abandon caste. Okay. So it seems to, so my entire thing is that Hinduism is a product of the space rather than a set of beliefs. That's the basic thing. When you call for a Hindu nation, um, would this sort of theocracy be something comparable, obviously different and unique, but comparable to, for example, Islamic theocracies? No, it can't be for the simple reason that uh, Hinduism is already secular. Because it has no, it doesn't prescribe to any beliefs. Okay, so for example, let's take the most thing is that the Bhagavad Gita, okay, is the central text of Hinduism, is one, one probably the thing. But Bhagavad Gita is Krishna, right? The Shaivite things like the Lingayats in Karnataka, the Vira Vira Shaivas, they don't have nothing to do with Rama and Krishna, right? So there's a lot of people who, you no, know, my point I want to make is there's a political need to unify Hinduism, but there's no philosophical justification 
You get my point? They may not yes. be philosophical justification. There is a political need. That's the basic I, point. I, I do get your point in the sense that um, it's taken it has taken me some time and some study to come to this this basic realization and really grok, really internalize the fact that Hinduism is a, is not a single tradition. It, it it's a jungle. I call it the Hindu jungle. Yeah. I teach I teach it as an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem of ideas. Yes. Right. It's not a species. It's not a genus. It's an, yes. It's a vast ecosystem. Um. And 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 in addition to 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 to, to the vast range of time and culture and history, it's it's the Indic soil is so syncretic. Nothing is dispensed with. Everything is grafted onto, added onto. Um, yes. Yes. So so it, it, it's dizzying in its complexity. So I think of Hinduism as sort of this moving target or this tapestry or this jungle. So in that sense, I understand what you mean. Um. With respect to it being different from other traditions. Uh, that have central tenets such as, for example, perhaps Buddhism or Islam or etc. Um, now, um, what do you mean when you say that Hinduism is innately secular compared to other religions? It's innately secular because it's almost undefined. Okay, a lack of definition. It's lack of definition in the sense of saying this is Hinduism, this is not. Right? There are, for example, there. So the question is, it, it, since it it's so large and so vast. That there is nothing it does not exclude. In fact, Hinduism, as as whatever, as 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 some kind of unity, not exactly a unity, as which is taken for a unity, came because of outsiders who who, who excluded themselves from Hinduism. Like for example, Islam, right? Is is the Islamic thing would exclude Hinduism from their own thing. They would they would they identify themselves very, very 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 clearly and very closely. Hinduism can't define itself like that. It's not possible at all. So the question is, because it lacks a definition, because it can't be def defined, it's a set of practices which excludes none that I can think of. Okay, it 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 is it, since it allows everything, it can only be secular. It can only be called secular in its fundamental. I mean, secular in in a broad sense, not in the you know secular in the sense it excludes nothing. Okay, it's very difficult to exclude anything. For example, even consumption of beef is not excluded. So, so under certain circumstances, it can be eaten. Certain circumstances, it can't be. Right? That sort of thing. That's what I mean. So, walk us through the structure of the book, so folks can get a sense of of the different chapters, perhaps. Okay. The first chapter I'm looking at is uh, is uh, uh, to to make the yeah. Well, just a minute. It's over here. Okay. The, well, the first thing is on nationalism. The first chapter is on nationalism, right? Then the, that is the what exactly is a nation? What are the various things? What a what a what a, I mean, what a nation is in terms of its religion, ethnicity, and all that, right? How ethnicity can constitute can help constitute religion? Religion can uh, constitute a nation. How religion can help? That is the basic thing. And also to look at how the entire Nehruvian thing of modernity how it impacted upon the notion of uh, I'm looking at the the trajectory of Hindu nationalism also in the very first chapter. The second chapter, after after an introduction on nationalism, yeah, the introduction is on nationalism. The first who is chapter, a Hindu? Yeah, who, who is a Hindu is the second chapter. Okay. So, 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 so who is a Hindu? Tell us. Oh, you're asking me. I think it's any person, I'll, I'll say this much, any person who does not exclude himself from Hinduism is a Hindu. Okay, he has to say, "I am not a Hindu." For him not to be a Hindu, okay, this is this is my thing of it. An atheist can be a Hindu, right? I am an atheist. I am born a Hindu. I accept Hinduism, though I do not follow any of its practices. Or hardly, I mean, probably unconsciously, I, unconsciously, I may 
if I sort of kick something, I may do this with my, you know, there are certain things like the practices, they're basically social gestures. But the point is, I have no faith in, uh, I mean, I'm not a believer in God or any such thing. I still consider myself a Hindu, right? So the, so the question is, it does not require anything except an urge not to exclude yourself from it. If you say, I believe in this Christianity or I believe in uh, Islam, I, this is my sacred belief, then you've excluded yourself, right? Now, Otherwise, would you, say, uh, would you say that applies to individuals born in South Asia or individuals born anywhere? Well, I would say anywhere. I mean, if you, if you know enough, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't go along with this thing that you have to be born here to be here. What about no, all I, these? No, no, no. I, what I mean to say is just, just to, to, to clarify your position, which, which is yeah. my aim. Um, uh, the idea that, okay, um, if I don't opt out of Hinduism, I'm a de facto Hindu. <laughs> so yeah, this idea, does, it, that, does, does, does that ABD apply to any individual or individuals tied to South Asia in some sense? Any individual. Any okay. individual. All right. Great. So, so this is what you argue in chapter two, speculating yeah. about Hinduism. Yes. And then uh, the third chapter is the Hindu subject in the globalized, globalized world. world. What are you saying in that chapter? Who's the Hindu subject? I mean, I'm looking at the globalized world, what exactly the beliefs are of the, of the Hindus in the absence of beliefs, what is, necess- what, it is, uh, what it is necessary to believe in a globalized world? What exactly is this? Can, is, it, is it reconcilable with, uh, what do you say, with uh, your traditional belief? Certain, like, for example, let's take certain aspects of traditional belief, right? I mean, well, I mean, you can take Mahabharata as, as probably the widest, uh, you know, the widest kind of, kind of textbook of Hinduism, what it includes. For example, you take something like the Ekalavya, right? All of them have to be interpreted. Nothing is straight, right? You take the story of Ekalavya. I wondered, what is the story of Ekalavya about? It is about the fact that only authorized people can receive knowledge, Right? If you're not authorized, you cannot receive knowledge. So the question is, what is authorization? So the question is, you can't learn by yourself. Okay, you can only receive it. Which means that the Western notion, the Western notion that you have to destroy your teacher in order to progress, okay, is not here. You can only receive knowledge. So all, the, all these are issues which are, which are not tenable anymore. Okay, so the question is that Hindu, in order to be globalized, Hindu, uh, you will have to, you know, sift out certain things of Hinduism, certain things are simply not tenable. Uh, the, the notion of karma, you know, I mean, many of these notions, you'll have to reconcile it. So this is basically what I mean by the Hindu subject so, of globalize. So, so may we dive into the, this a little bit? So okay. how does one, how does a, a modern global citizen, how does one, by what process does one ascertain which elements of Hinduism to hold on to and which to discard. I, I think it's basically what is generally called politically right, okay? Politically correct, popular, I mean, these, these things, you know, equality, you know, fundamental things, right? What, what is ethical in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, I mean, you can talk about ethical, I, I don't think there's much disagreement between what is, what is ethical, right? Ethical in the world, like for example, justice, equality, equal opportunity, this sort of thing, right? Egalitarianism, these basic things, right? They are they are the ones which we have to. We have no option but to accept them. I feel for now, it doesn't mean forever, but for now we have to accept that. In the present context, we'll have to accept that. So anything which is incompatible with that, you don't have to jettison everything. Anything which is incompatible with that, like for example, caste hierarchy, 
where something is considered good thing at that kind you know are you there i don't know yes indeed okay okay all right and you have to jettison certain uh, hindu beliefs for example uh, yeah i mean so there's a question is you have to sift out it will have to be checked in relation to um, widely accepted uh, democratic values you could say democrat what are called democratic values it will have to be in tune with them that would be the basic thing you can go from point to point but that will be the basic thing i mean philosophical beliefs not so much see one of the fundamental things the differences between western thought and indian indian thought is western thought is preoccupied with understanding the world in some sense excluding human kind from it what is the world without human kind there human kind has to respond to it indian thought rather indian whatever india hindu way of life is to look at how to live right now how to live has to be reconciled even the buddhists are like that how to live how to make my life meaningful that kind of thing how to live will have to be shall we say reconciled with what the world is in some way and the world politically sociologically whatever ideologically whatever will have to be have to play a big part in the you know in the in the way the i mean what what beliefs have to be accepted what can be should be jettisoned it determine that you're following a chapter called um, imagining the modern hindu nation what do you say yeah oh, how do i what do i say about that oh that's uh, yeah that's 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 basically the looking at the uh, problems that in that india that uh, that india has faced this space look one of the things about hinduism is one of the fundamental things is it is refers to a space because the word hindu itself came from outside that this side of the indus right this space is very important to hinduism not that other people can't follow it but the belonging in this space is very important to hinduism okay now what was i talking what is the what was the question i think the subsequent chapters about the hindu nation and impediments of the yeah. nation okay. we're just in the process of unpacking the the structure of the book yeah yeah okay okay this this thing of uh, what, what what exactly are they? the hindu citizen in the globalized world i've done right the impediments would be you'll have to look at the the past what exactly what is the question of poverty what is the question of inequality how would you deal this and there's a, there's a you see there is one of the fundamental problems with with indian indian thought is the absence of records okay the absence of record make record keeping the absence of uh, knowing what happened here what happened there okay Uh, the proper historical records are not kept so there is a, this thing of purana which is a somewhat nebulous term now you have to have some kind of thing you know uh, purana or itihasa these terms right now you you have to sort of uh, reconcile that with the notion of history accounts mythology verified validated history you'll have to bring all that in you'll have to bring all that in okay so the question is you'll have to look at the burden of the past what exactly for example i mean there is an interesting book which i you know it's um, it's called uh, india at the death of akbar okay which means would by all accounts india at the death of akbar would be some kind of golden age in the history of india what exactly was that what is poverty there what is the nature what are lives like what how did people live what are the lower the lower classes and the poorer people live all that sort of thing figures that you come to some idea of what india was like for example i think you know democracy in my opinion democracy okay has made people who are invisible it's made them visible right okay because they're all voting right for a long time all these you know these they for example when i was in school i was taught that there were four castes okay now there are infinite number of castes or at least enormous number of castes caste as jati is different from caste as varna 
Varna is actually a fiction. I mean, in the sense that everything fits under this. We know that the Brahmins fit under that because of their male line going back to the Vedic people or some such thing. But the others are only a matter of conjecture. And we know kings who have actually paid Brahmins to have themselves turned from Shudras into Kshatriyas and that sort of thing. We know about all that, right? So the question is, the question is, you have to somehow deal with this, recognize the, you know, what are the aspects of India as it was, understand it properly, understand it in a sociological, political science sense uh, in order to make something of it. Now, that you can't look at it in the terminology which you've always looked at it, right? You have to look at it in terms of Western terminology. You have to look at it in terms of, you know, social sciences, and the humanities. You have to look at it like that. That's the basic thing of the, that chapter. How are you speaking, going to reconcile like it? Ah. Speaking yeah. of such fields and subfields, who do you think might most be interested in this book? Who's the book for primarily? Well, I, I would have hoped that the Hindu nationalists would most benefit by it. If you're going to make a Hindu nation, right, this is actually, it can be seen as a blueprint for Hindu nationalism. Okay. What is the kind of nationalism which, which, which you can have and still get acceptance in the world? Okay. It's basically that. The problem is this term of Hindu nation, okay, at least among the, among the liberal elite, okay, has been is seen as fascist, okay, this kind of nationalism is seen as fascist. I mean, in my opinion, it's silly actually to look upon it necessarily as fascist. But the point is, the more you push against Hindu nationalism, the more it is likely as a reaction to go towards fascist uh, tenets, right? And it is also necessary, in my view, okay, for Hindu nationalism to strengthen itself by admitting intellectual thought into it. It's very necessary. So if this book should help, it should look, be looked at as a blueprint for the intellectual content of Hindu nationalism, but whether it benefits by it or not is a different matter. But the point is, it's trying to look at that. It's, it, they should be the most benefited by it. But how it's actually working out, I don't know. Because... This notion of Hindu nationhood is, uh, is uh, discredited at the, at the source by uh, liberals, you know. The very title of the book has put people off. People who have not even read it, okay. So how do you convert them? How do you do that? If they, I mean, uh, there are obviously some open-minded liberals also, but they should also look at it. If they looked at it also, they, they should benefit by it. But I think they are less likely to look at it because of their, uh, you know, uh, the, the title is li more likely to attract uh, Hindu nationalists than liberals. This is my sense. Not that liberals do not benefit by it. One of the interesting things about this podcast, besides it being strangely popular for something so uh, intellectual and niche, is that um, uh, 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 scholarship monographs of various kinds are featured. Uh, it's it's a neutral space for the advancing of ideas and discourse, and so, uh, as with any responsible intellectual, of course, I welcome a variety of perspectives. Um, and my role on this podcast is neither to adjudicate or to evaluate or to sway or to pitch or to sell or to spin. Just to hold space for looking at the work on its own terms. Um, and I asked, obviously, these, these, these uh, purposely naive questions for the prompting of content. But let me ask you this. So, so okay, you have this, 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 um, 
this this manifesto <laughs> you have this the blueprints this is kind of, of the, the, the the blueprints of of um of 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 the hindu nation how is what you're advocating in the book in these blueprints different from what is happening with um those interested currently in the hindu nation i'll say this much one of the fundamental thing is they are they are constructing mythological uh, things about the past okay there's a huge burden you're carrying there's a huge burden you're carrying that hindus are carrying india is carrying and you have to look at that burden you're carrying okay and there is enough material to tell you that this is the burden you're carrying you cannot mythologize about the past make all kinds of things okay there is there is enough material after all you know Uh, the, there have been foreign travelers who have come in. You can call them disinterested. I don't think they had much of a thing. You, that bird, that burden of the past has to be recognized, and you have to undo a lot of that past if you want to go ahead and be a modern nation. And you will have to take only a, because after all, Hinduism excludes nothing. You have to exclude to make Hinduism modern, right? Certain things have to be excluded. Certain things have to be have to be left out of a of a, of a reconstitu- reconstituted Hinduism. This is necessary, and the how to phrase this, the 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 the, the metric of uh, you know the, the the measure of what is to be left out, um, is the implication that that should accord with Western values. It's not West. Look, we no longer dispute things like democratic values, right? Okay, mm. it is no longer a Western values anymore. Okay, if they were came from the West, okay, well and good. but the point is democratic values justice egalitarianism they are far more they are far more tenable or far more viable as uh, philosophical propositions political propositions than something like dharma is what i'm saying right okay it's uh, we cannot even define dharma we don't even know i was reading some i mean it's not possible at all how would you define it in such a way as to make it usable in in a society where the conflict is perpetual people are always conflicting with each other personal interests are conflicting how would you even use this notion of dharma instantly i've got another book which has come out through rutledge you may find this interesting i don't know if you uh, looked it you aware of this it's called the liberal nation through its elite writing of the liberal nation by its elite okay it's looking at the english language literature the elite the english elite what is the version of india they produced if you look at that you'll get some idea of what i mean uh, some idea of how the you know the english speaking elite looks at india what exactly is it is it tenable they have their own problems in the, i mean philosophical problems in dealing with it the left liberals arundhati roy pankaj mishra amartya sen they have their own problems of dealing with it okay i attacked that i killed that question there but the important thing here is the important whatever was i i don't know uh, okay where was i yeah so the, so the question is uh, that the this uh, Yeah, this uh, I was was I talking about the uh, the thing of the you know what what should be jettisoned? Yeah, dharma. I was talking about dharma. Right? Yes, yes. We can't use it's not usable anymore. Okay, you can't use dharma as a notion when you are dealing with law, right? You can't have dharma as a basis basis of the law when a conflict, civil conflict or a criminal conflict. You can no longer use that, right? Nobody's even tried to make sense of it. So the question is. by default or whatever what you call western values democracy democratic values I mean, we have no option are we going to have something other than democratic values is anybody seriously believe that is possible at least as a, as a virtue as something to attainable okay we have to we have no other option if we have we have to define that and then say that it's philosophically tenable 
it can be done it can is viable it can be done we have to do that exercise the philosophical exercise has to be done to prove and accommodate uh, that kind you have to do that unless you do that unless that i am uh, intellectual effort is put in right we cannot do anything with that so otherwise we have to accept these are what you call western values so is there anything else about the book that you wanted to share or touch on no, i was uh, gen, gen, look generally my my one of the things which irked me quite a bit okay is the with uh, the sort of shall we supercilious way in which western scholars write about hinduism right comic as if it's comic relief right so the point is hinduism is is hugely inconsistent and as you agreed with me it's 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 an eco ecological system right okay so the question is hugely inconsistent but that inconsistent comes because of a process of conflict continuing conflict that's why the process comes so the question is that the the and all the time all the time the strange thing is the strange thing is even while they are completely inconsistent everything claims shall we say its origins in the fire in the first source which is the vedas it's not even the first source by all means by any means but the point is that it is that first source in the vedas in all philosophical they seem to say that the vedas are our first source everything comes from there everything is a process of interpretation is theory down in some sense the vedas had all the truth only it was not it was clouded in imagery and clouded in metaphor we are going to explain that and they do it with more metaphor and more imagery right more analogy that kind of thing right so the point i'm trying to make is that these inconsistencies okay have always been passed off as interpretations of this one single truth this is the fundamental thing i think that we have to accept these inconsistencies as fundamental to the process by which these beliefs came process in this uh, historical thing in this space in this uh, indian space or whatever that's that is a basic thing uh, so the, that is what really irked me see for example let, let's take something like you know the 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 destruction of the monastery buddhist monasteries the fact that buddhism didn't gain ground right in india now the, the one of the things is that they were killed by brahmins right the buddhists were massacred by brahmins and there's no evidence of that there's no evidence of that there is not one uh, very important uh, i won't mention the person one very important sociologist on hinduism on on india the explanation is people who murder monks buddhist monks okay buddhist monks and destroy monasteries will not leave evidence of their crimes behind you're talking about 8th century 7th century ad and you're talking about crimes the very respected sociologist so the question is what i'm trying to make is okay that this entire thing is absence of uh, i have my own notions for why you know there is absence of records absence of uh, you know historical records why handed down experience is not you know recorded in some way there is a loss of uh, there is a loss of knowledge largely because records are not kept right what is the reason for that i have my own uh, reasons for that which i came upon uh, by studying indian cinema in many ways <laughs> indian cinema not being mimetic i won't go into that so the question is the point is that this thing is being used in some way it is being misused in certain ways but because you have no records you have nothing to defend yourself with you're at a disadvantage so you have to do something you have to go about it there is no doubt that orality is inferior to literacy right today but at one point the entire brahmanical tradition rested on orality and i think orality basically this is my my view you may or may not 
orality came about the thing of keeping uh, knowledge within a certain preserve a certain preserve that was the reason for orality you can pass it on to whoever you want to whereas literacy will be indiscriminate in passing on knowledge now this has kicked by i mean i think it has uh, hurt uh, india quite badly this entire notion so all this you will have to deal with you will have to build up but it's it's a huge amount of rebuilding reconstruction from from the basics and i don't think we did that after 1947 my lament here is that we did not do that after 1947 okay that is my basic lament that we did not see we were so busy looking upon uh, the, uh, the being skeptical about our past that we did not see that this past whether we valued it or not needed to be preserved had needed to be uh, needed to be investigated needed to be enquired into this is my basic that is the basic for which my book came about this is where i end also and how do you deal with this in future this is the basic thing fascinating well i want to thank you for appearing on the podcast today my thanks my thanks to you thank you very much Okay. You're welcome. For those of you listening, we have been speaking uh, with M.K. Raghavendra about his brand new Bloomsbury 2021 publication, The Hindu Nation, A Reconciliation with Modernity. Um, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating what it takes to build a nation. Take care. Thank you.